Hello and welcome to the British English Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then please feel free to head back to the first episode and work your way through the full catalogue of episodes. And you'll see that this show is all about helping non-native adult learners of English to better understand British culture and British English. And in today's show, I am going to interview a British person to find out all about their career, the industry in which they are in and the journey they have been on because, well, I find them interesting. But I also think these interviews tend to shed light on the cultural significance of that industry and how it is thought of in uh, the country. And thinking about it, that's actually one of the biggest culture shocks I get whenever I find out that a specific industry is regarded in one way in one country and then completely the opposite in another. I think teaching is respected in, in very different ways in America and England, and I find that fascinating. So today we are going to be interviewing a professional dancer from the UK who is called Daisy Hardy. Sorry to get all analytical on you for a second, but from seeing the statistics of what people listen to this show on, it is safe to say that you are most likely using Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts, which means you could be missing out on the free worksheet for this specific episode, which teaches you at least 10 phrases totally free. And there's more because upon getting access to this week's free worksheet, you actually unlock access to every single free worksheet I've ever made, which is well over 100 episodes. So that's 100 times 10. Let me do my calculations. Oh my God, you are losing out on learning a minimum of 1000 phrases for free. I know, I know you're thinking, hmm, eh, it won't be convenient though. I just want to open my podcast player, select the latest episode and get on with my day. Well, I know that feeling all too well. So I went and built an app for this very reason. You can download the app, open the free worksheets and listen to the latest podcast episode within three clicks. I tested it myself meaning you can enjoy the episode whilst getting on with your day and then when you hear a word you want to learn, unlock the phone and there it is, right under the play button. It's amazing and, did I mention, completely free for you. It cost me a fair amount of money to build, so I'd love for you to use it. So yes, do us both a favour, pause this episode, download it right now and enjoy the free worksheet that complements this very episode. To do that, open the show notes of this episode and click the relevant link or open your device's app store, search the British English Podcast app or BEP, that's B-E-P. Oh, and if you're not wanting to get the app, then just head over to the website, thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash freebies. That's F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. Go on, pause, download the app and resume. You won't regret it, I promise. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Lovely to hear. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I've just come back from a dog walk because we've got two Dachshounds or Dachshunds now. How would you pronounce that word, that dog breed? Mm, good question. I have to say I'm not an expert on my dog breeds. I would probably say Dachshund. Dachshund, yeah. Or we mm. could say the nickname <laughs> sausage oh, dog. Sausage dog. A Dachshund yeah. and a sausage dog. 
Yeah, cheeky little sausage dogs. Uh, we're not going to talk about sausage dogs all day long, but one of them doesn't like walking with just me. So she only likes to walk if Stacy is with me. So I feel quite rejected a lot of the time. Yes, we went on a walk today and successfully completed it. What was your day like today so far? It was good, thank you. It's been a day of teaching so far, teaching mm-hmm. all day, different students, English lessons. Okay, so that has already introduced us to your other side of the other industry that you're in, which is, of course, teaching English. And that's mm-hmm. how we know each other, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Let's see. What came first, the teaching or the dancing for you? I guess that depends on how you look at it in a sense of what was in my life first or what became my profession or my career first. Yeah. I have danced from the age of two. So I guess in a lot of ways, dance came first. In a professional That's capacity? Not in a professional capacity, more in a putting your fairy wings on and running around the room <laughs> kind of capacity at age We've two. We've all been there. I would yeah. say. Then I kept dancing as I grew up. I did the traditional route that many girls in the UK take. I think a lot of us in the UK, we grow up doing ballet modern dance, tap dance. That's quite a a normal hobby for a girl to do after school in the UK. Yeah, it it was in my family. I have two older sisters and they both went. I was actually dragged along. I don't Mm. think I admitted that to my friends. And I did a couple, maybe a term of dancing. Um, But I hung up my ballet shoes pretty early in my Mm. career. Did you feel like you took to it like straight away? Did you think, oh, I love a bit of tap. Tap was always my thing, I have to say. And what is tap? Tap is not popular all around the world, I have to say. When I moved to Spain, I lived in quite a small town and I was looking for tap dance classes. And I came across some very confused faces when I was asking (laughs) about this. They, They thought maybe I meant flamenco. I tried to explain. It's not exactly flamenco. It's quite close quite similar lots of similarities tap dance is where you have the metal taps on the bottom of your shoes one on the toes and one on the heel and you make the the rhythms the beats the music with your feet basically yeah it's a good explanation you literally tap to the music don't you and you make lots of different the light taps and the dark uh, the heavier stomps they mm-hmm. kind of give the rhythm some depth. Tones. Yeah, yeah, tones. Exactly. Yeah. yeah okay. A bit like drumming, I would say. Drumming yeah. with your feet. Drumming with your feet. Mm-hmm. Drumming with your heels and all different parts of your, your feet, really. Yeah. And so that was early on. What, what age do you reckon you went for your first tap class? So I started with ballet age two, then probably went to modern aged four. And let's say tap would have been around five six years old that I started I think now ballet is probably a lot more recognized I assume especially in Europe right yeah ballet is quite universal the same even the same terms the French terms that are used within a ballet class will be universal no matter what country or language you're taking the class in ah so that's ah. yeah quite recognized in yeah, different right. places okay uh, so did you find a ballet group in Spain? I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was looking yeah. for tap and I found a lot of ballet <laughs> to the point where I have to 
put a disclaimer out there. I am not a ballerina. Ballet is, of course, a very technical dance. And if you become a professional ballerina, it's a very different, specific world within the dance world. And all of us as dancers, we train in ballet and we take ballet classes as a form of fitness, as a form of keeping the body in shape and technically ready for everything. I'm definitely not a professional ballerina. And yet when I was in Spain, because the focus out there was on ballet, somehow I ended up in the Christmas show doing a solo on point which Whoa. I have to say was not the highlight of my career. It was very <laughs> stressful, but a unique experience. Wow. How many eyes would you say were on you then? Was it a huge audience? A couple of hundred, let's say. Okay. Pairs of eyes or? Oh, uh, yeah. Pairs of eyes. <laughs> a couple of hundred yeah. spectators. Okay. And that was ballet and you were doing a solo uh, and you were on point, which I understand means you're on the top of your tiptoes exactly on point is where you you wear the specific point shoes that have blocks in the end of the ballet shoe that Mm -hmm. help you to when you rise up you rise through demi point we say which is where you just stand on your tiptoes and then you keep going onto the very tips of your toes on top of those blocks in the shoe yeah a very painful process do you find it painful even to this day These days, I would not be found dancing on point. But yes, probably I would still find it painful. So you started when you were two. Did you go on to point when you were two? No. You you are very much encouraged by all ballet teachers to wait for the feet to be fully developed, to be strong enough to be able to rise onto point. And that usually wouldn't happen before the age of 14, I want to say. 12, 14. Ah, 12, 14. That's when a female's foot is fully developed, would you say? Perhaps. It could be. Or male. I don't know why. Well, I was talking to you, so I assumed female. I think I wanted my feet to grow beyond the age of 14, but I don't think they did. 12, 14 is the safe point in which you can try to go on point. Go on point? Yeah, to go on point. Yeah. Exactly. The dancing started at a very early age. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I assume you weren't teaching English before the age of two. No, that's correct. I was just dancing. And the languages started during high school, I would say. Um, Well, started learning. Language learning? learning? The language learning. Yeah. We started French lessons probably when I was in year three. And then we, in high school, in year eight, I had a choice between German and Spanish and everybody was choosing Spanish. So I chose German just to be different. (laughs) I didn't want to be rejected. I didn't want to choose Spanish and be told, no, you have to study German. So I thought, I'll just choose German straight away and know that I'll get my first choice. Oh, is this showing us a peek under the hood of the psyche of Daisy? Quite possibly, yes. Although the German teachers at my school were also particularly nice, friendly teachers. So that probably also played a role. Right, I see. You went for the German for Mm. those reasons. And when did you think about teaching? Honestly, for a long time, 
I said the one career I definitely think I won't go for is teaching. <laughs> I think that's what a lot of us do as we're going yeah. through school. I knew I liked languages and it was quite clear early on that that was what I was best at at school and what I would probably mm -hmm. go on to study at university. Although I also knew the whole time that I wanted really to be a dancer and every time we would have careers days or careers talks or anything of the sort I would say yes I know what I want to do I know what I want to be I'm going to be a dancer and the response I was at quite an academic school with quite a lot of pressure and so the, res the response every time was that's great that's fantastic at the weekends as a hobby that's lovely and I would say no but surely you can be a dancer as a career and I was convinced by everyone around me that no, that wasn't a career and I should choose something else. That's interesting. Okay, so in the UK, well, in your experience, we're refrained from pursuing a career in dance generally. In when, all things when, artistic, yeah. I would say. In all things artistic? I think it is changing. And yeah. I know that I, at the point where I left school, there was no one to support me in saying that that was possible. But then a few years later, some girls I know who would have started high school as I was leaving, um, by the time they were leaving, which was a couple of years ago, dance was a GCSE, dance was an A-level, and they actually went straight to dance school from my school. Right. So right. it's changed a lot in the past 10 years. And after university, after going to dance school... Is there more available for like jobs out there now, do you think, for dancers? Do you mean more in comparison? More opportunity compared to when you graduated? Because you said that there's more opportunity to learn the arts and they're encouraging us to, to learn it all the way up till university level, right? Mm -hmm. But is there, I, I'm wondering, do you think there's more opportunity to be a professional dancer than there was before? No. I wouldn't say right. so. Particularly, <laughs> it seems a bit back to front, I guess. Although, Definitely since COVID. COVID had a big effect on the industry. And it's yeah. only now, I would say this year, that it's really starting to bounce back. Um, uh, so that plays a part in how much is available. Now, I don't want to bash your industry, but how mm. do you feel about TikTok dancers? I just wanted to check in with you about something. Are you one of those language learners who often thinks, am I actually making any progress with my English? Is what I'm doing to study actually working for me? Or am I just wasting my precious time here? Well, if you think this way, then I'd like to encourage you to take action on this. Imagine how much more motivated you would be to put time and effort into your English studies if you knew that every time you studied, you would be guaranteed to be making significant progress. How much more satisfying would that be? So what do we need to do in order to find more clarity around this issue? Well, tracking your progress is a wonderful way to show evidence of your language skills having actually improved. And to track progress, the first thing you need to do is understand what level you are currently at. If you haven't taken a level assessment recently, then I highly recommend using my free test, 
that will instantly tell you your level of English. Once you know this, you can start tracking your progress, which comes in many forms based on personal preference and your level of English. But that's a conversation for another time. For now, though, make sure you check your level of English with my free level checker, which is available over on thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash freebies. That is thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S or find it in the show notes of this episode. Interesting question. Because they make money. You know, the ones that get a lot of following, they make money from doing dancing. Mm -hmm. Is that legitimate in your opinion? Yeah, why not? I did see something interesting recently of a, couldn't tell you their names off the top of my head, but a TikTok couple of two professional dancers who made this TikTok saying that when they were training as dancers, they were really encouraged in terms of how we market ourselves in the industry. They were really encouraged to use social media, get yourself out there to Put your name out there to show what you can do to really utilize social media as a tool to market yourself as a dancer. So they went onto TikTok and they've created this TikTok page, gone viral. And now as choreographers, they applied for a job recently and they received a response saying, sorry, we don't want TikTok dancers or TikTok influencers. We want real choreographers. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it made them, of course, very frustrated and angry at how things have turned out based on the advice they were given at the beginning. So it can definitely be looked oh. at in different ways. People have different opinions of it. Was that a very prestigious uh, school or, or like a job that they were trying to apply for? I have no idea. No right. idea what that was for. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got to be aware of what you're putting out there, I suppose. Maybe if I was to apply for a job in a Cambridge university, they would say, sorry, we don't take podcast English teachers. Who knows? Maybe you should try. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so let's go back a bit to where you grew up so we can understand what kind of your, your circle of friends and family uh, represents, really. Where in the UK are you from? I'm from Hertfordshire, which is just outside London, just north of London. And I was born in Watford. And then we moved when I was quite young, when I was about seven years old, we moved to St Albans, which is the, the next door city. Both very typical commuter towns for London, I would say. I would dance-wise, I would often, as I was growing up, be taking the train into London to take class at different studios because that's really where the dance scene is. And so a lot of the time when people ask me where I'm from, I would say I'm from London because I feel like I've spent a lot of time in London growing up. But really, I'm not from London. If someone then says, where in London are you from? They'll realise that I'm from Hertfordshire, which is the next county. Yes, I see. And where in London would you spend your time in, in dance schools or studios, roughly? Mostly as I was younger, it would have been Pineapple Studios. Okay. Covent Garden, and a Covent very Garden. famous studio, very historic. Yeah. Um, these days, there are some modern ones that have come up more recently, like Bass Studios in Vauxhall, um, The Hub in East London. There are 
different places where you can go and take open classes. Okay, so you went there. You always wanted to dance when you were young. That was quite a popular thing in the UK. We've kind of mentioned that for girls. What's the ratio, would you say, for girls and guys to dance early age? At an early age, it's almost almost 100% girls. Let's say maybe 90, 95% girls. Okay. Often you'll yeah. find the the one or maybe two boys in a in a local dance school. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you... When I've grown up and I've I've gone out to dance school, I've gone into the industry, you speak to the guys in the industry, and whereas the girls will all say they started age two, age three, the guys have all started most commonly age 16, 17, 14, maybe at the youngest. It's quite common to start a lot later in life as a guy. And I think and- that comes purely from the stereotypes that, a lot of them will say that they, a bit like I said, I didn't have the guidance at school to think dance was a career. They will say they often didn't have the guidance when they were younger that they could go to dance classes. They felt like they had to go to football, the traditional stereotypes. Um, And I think it's a lot harder for a boy at a young age to make that choice to say, actually, I want to go to ballet or I want to go to some kind of dance class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. Do you think that means there's a difference in the level of skill and quality in the genders? Because a lot more girls have been training for 15, 16 more years, maybe 10 years, let's say, than the, the guys. They would have more time to put in, you know, the drills and all of the essential things to have a really strong foundation within their skill set. What do you think? To an extent. Yes, that's also evident because, of course, there are so many girls in the industry that Mm. it's such a saturated place to be trying to find work as a female dancer that no matter how strong your technique is and how good your base is, you'll always be fighting against so many other female dancers, whereas the guys they might not have that technical base because they started later on and they haven't got that same technical level. But because there are fewer guys, they get to where they want to be much quicker and much more easily. Right. If there was a a career guidance staff talking to a male who said, I want to be a dancer, (laughs) would they encourage them? Yeah, you'll get to the top. Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Do you know what your level of English is? If not, then how can you tell if you're even improving? Considering you are no longer a beginner in this journey, you should be doing everything you can to show to yourself that your hard work is paying off. To do that, you need to know where you're at right now to be able to recognise the progress in the future. So... I have a quick and easy English level test for you to take right now for free to instantly find out what level of English you actually have. Head to the thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash test me or find the link in the show notes of this episode. So yeah, let's go through that usual route beyond education, uh, early education. So you go to extracurricular dance classes outside of school from what I understand for ages from two till 16 and then 
what would go next? What would happen after that? Yeah, for me, it was until 18. I was at the same school from age four to age 18. Mm-hmm. And I was also at the same extracurricular dance school from age four to 18. More or less the same routine for 14 years of my life growing up. <laughs> Did um, you enjoy that? Actually, yes. I, I loved school. I loved dance. And yeah, I had a great time. Growing up, I did things like pantos as well at Christmas. Okay, well, that deserves another conversation for another time. Pantos, that's incredibly British, isn't it? Uh, Very but quickly, British. Uh, can you tell us what you mean? Panto is pantomime. It's a type of show at Christmas time that is based on traditional fairy tale stories, like, for example, Snow White. Cinderella, Peter Pan, Dick Whittington and his cat, for example. And yeah, it would be a kind of part comedy, part musical show um, with singing, dancing, and usually some kind of big comedy character played by someone very famous, maybe a (laughs) (laughs) Z-lister or if you're lucky, a D-lister who would play the dame or the the joker in some way. Do you remember any of those D-listers that you were graced with on stage? I did Peter Pan with Tracy Beaker as Peter Pan. (laughs) So that was Panto. So Panto became something that you would involve yourself in every year as of 16 plus, 18? It was actually when I was younger. Panto tends to have the older dancers who would be 18 plus and then you get I think they were called the panto babes where a local dance school would be kind of taken on and within that dance school they would provide the little mini dancers to be on stage and oh babes is in as young not as in like the other term okay that makes more sense as in young children babes exactly so that was probably age 10, 12. So you're on the stage and pantos can get pretty big. Like, I I feel like some of the stages that I went to see pantos at had, I don't know, maybe even a thousand, two thousand people sitting there watching. Around that. Yeah. Yeah. And did you feel comfortable with that, that many eyes on you, as I said earlier? Yeah, I loved it. And actually, this came up the other day in a conversation with my mum because at that age it's up to the parents to be the backstage hands to take turns to dress all in black and help usher the children on and off in the wings and help in the dressing rooms behind the scenes etc right so my mum got involved with some of that and the other day I don't know why we were talking about panto why it came up in conversation but she mentioned a moment in the first panto I did I think where she stood in the wings with me and I was about to go on stage and it was before the show started and she peeked out of the curtain and she saw all the audience sat there which to me is the most exciting part of a show that feeling in the wings before when it's about to start and she said to me oh my gosh are you not terrified look there are so many people how can you go out there and I said no mommy it's what, what so, terrible it's so exciting. <laughs> she said are you are you scared but she I, I guess yeah. she asked me how I was feeling or 
Yeah, I picked up on the wrong things. You said the contrary thing. You said, no, I'm so excited, mummy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that says a lot. You're excited by the audience. You love all that. You want more Mm. of that. Mm -hmm. And did people compliment you on your coordination and your ability to dance well? Or did you have huge self-belief and you didn't need anyone to tell you that? We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards. Whereas the Academy gives you all of that, plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes, explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments, and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. We met because I was looking for somebody to help me with classes in the Academy of this podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you've been helping me out in there for... A year now, I think. A year and a bit. A year and a bit. We're over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's been amazing on my end to have such a talented teacher helping in the academy. So, yes, thank you very, very, very much. But you also do one-to-one lessons as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do within the teaching world? I teach online one-to-one English lessons through italki and through Verblink. I also have some of my own in-person students, but most of my online work is through those two websites. Uh-huh. Recently, I've also jumped onto TikTok and ah. I've been making some TikTok videos. I also have a YouTube channel, but that's been quite neglected recently. I've been focusing a lot more on the TikTok. Nice. I will put all of the links in the show notes. What is your YouTube channel? British English with Daisy. British English with Daisy. And your TikTok? British English with Daisy. There we go. (laughs) And yes, I would definitely recommend you are incredibly patient. You bring a kind aura to the class, which encourages them to feel comfortable when making mistakes. And that encourages them to partake in conversation with you. Beautiful. I really, really enjoy it. Thank you very much for being part of the Academy. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate that. (laughs) It's been an honour teaching for the Academy. I think you've got some wonderful students and it's been really lovely getting to know them. Nice. Yeah, they are a wonderful bunch. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast.